Well, you know what today is, I hope. Uh, You can probably smell it in the air already. This is the first day of burn season. Uh, And it is sure to be a good one. We have uh, lots of storm damage and limbs and sticks to clean up and to, to burn this year. So I'm expecting a lot of good fragrance over the next few days and weeks. Uh, well, this is my obligatory semi-annual fire illustration, and so here you go. Um, if your relationship with Christ is a fire, the question is how hot is that fire? How, how bright is it? Is the fire of your life with Christ and your devotion to Him, is it strong? Or maybe because of some particular sin or some pattern of sin or some really major spiritual failure, has the flame been just doused with water and it's not visible anymore? Or has it slowly just grown dim and cold over time? Is there a kind of a heavy ash layer over your heart now. Yes, there, were, there, there are hot embers that are still burning underneath, though there will always be there, but, but there's very little heat and there's very little light emanating from your life. Is that where you find yourself today? There was a time when your love for Christ was strong and, and, and sincere. Maybe you can think back as a new believer at a certain stage in your life or maybe after some trial in your life that the Lord used or before some move and your world was turned upside down and, and you just wish you could go back, but those days are gone and that's not where you're at anymore. It's, it's dim, cold. Well, if that's you, I'm, I, I'm not here to scold you or to shame you or to threaten you. I don't think that's how God would speak to you today if you're His child. You, you don't grow love for Christ uh, with the fertilizer of fear or anger. But I also don't want you to become resigned to the thought, well, this is just how, this is how I will always be. This is how it must always be, that I'm just going to kind of exist until Christ comes home, Christ returns, or... I go to meet him. But but also, I, I, when I talk about, you know, I use fire as an illustration. I know we think maybe fire of our devotion with Christ. Maybe, maybe you have this image of just kind of spiritual and emotional frothiness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not saying that if you're not, you know, bubbly for Jesus, then you're missing something or you're, you're uh, wrong. That's not it. But I am saying there is a real danger... Paul says to the Corinthians of being led astray from a, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That is a real danger. And I don't know if that's where you find yourself today. If you're here today and you feel some kind of coldness in your devotion to Christ, that's, that, there's an encouragement and it's this, is that's evidence that God's Spirit is at work in you already. To not see it, to not acknowledge it, to not feel it, to not... To be blind to it would be far worse. And so it's God's grace that you're here and that you can even sense that. And I'm confident that God's Spirit can begin to blow those ashes away and can fan those embers into a a flame again. And you can know a vibrancy in your walk with Christ that maybe you haven't known ever before. The, The hope is not that you would go back to the way things were. No, the Lord has better things for you. 
And, and, and that's how I've been praying for you and from my own heart and my own life this week. And so we pick, off, pick, pick up where we left off in John 21. And I'll, we'll connect this in a moment. And, and so this is, this is the epilogue to John's gospel that we've been walking through for a couple of years now. And as I said last week, Peter is really in focus here. Um, he has had this catastrophic discipleship meltdown when he abandoned Jesus, denied even knowing him with profanity at Jesus' darkest hour, and, and, and when Jesus is being prepared for execution, being tortured, Peter is denying any, any connection with Jesus whatsoever and, and flees in fear. And so when we find Peter in John 21, we find a very broken man. Yes, he has seen the risen Christ. The Lord has spoken peace to him. But there's, there's still, up to this point, there's been no official kind of clearing of the air between Jesus and Peter until we get into John 21. And so we're, we're left, this underlying fear. Is there irreparable damage that's been done? Has he sinned so grievously that he's been just kind of sidelined by the Lord? That's the question that it's lingering that John... Uh, under the Spirit's inspiration, helps answer in this chapter. And so maybe you can relate to Peter's state of mind. Maybe you come in today with just these feelings, these these huge feelings of inadequacy. Maybe guilt and shame just kind of compounding and, and, and you, you feel the weight of that today or just weak and, and, and set aside by the Lord. That's you. This is, a, this is going to be precious words to your heart today. Because the, the, the Lord is not done with Peter. And I would say to you, He's not done with you. No matter what condition you walked in here today. Jesus will call him back, will restore him, will reinstate him to useful ministry. And, and with the rest, not just, it's not just Peter, it's the rest of the disciples who also abandon Jesus. And He'll restore them into significant ministry. And so the, they and, and others with them, other disciples, followers of Christ, will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to... As the, in the book of Acts, he turned the world upside down. And, and he can do the same with you. And he can start that today. And so in John 21, as we said last week, Jesus is bringing his disciples back to where it all began. They're back in Galilee, and they're back on this lake, and they're fishing. And, and so it's, it's just coming back to the beginning where they first encountered Jesus. And what's most significant is not the surroundings, though that is... I think intentional. What what's most significant is what they're what also is happening again is that Jesus has found them again. That's what happened in the first place. They didn't go. They were looking for Jesus. Jesus found them, and so Jesus comes to them. He calls to them. He meets their needs. He redirects their lives just like he did three over three years earlier. That's what we see. It's all happening again, and so what comes out of this is there's this simplicity that. This, this, everything's kind of boiled down to just a few things as Jesus talks with them. He doesn't say, sit down, I've got a thousand things you need to know before I leave. He comes and he, in, in restoring Peter, says, just a few things I really want you to get. And, and I think that's helpful for us. Because we, we tend to make Christianity very, very complicated. It's not simplistic, the Christian life, but... But there is a simplicity to it, and those, those two things are different. It's simple. If, if in, so if a life of simple and pure devotion to Christ kind of seems elusive to you, then I, I, just, I want you to see these three basic priorities that come out of the text today 
that, that can kind of help you cut through the clutter maybe of your mind as you think about Christian life. And so I'm going to state these three priorities and three questions. And so there may be a lot of things, brothers and sisters, you don't understand as a Christian and about the Christian life. There may be a, a lot of things you'll never be able to do as a Christian and things you'll never be able to accomplish and status you may never attain. But if you will focus on these three priorities, you, 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 there can be a vibrancy in your walk with Christ no matter what you walk through, no matter what station life you're in. So just the three simple questions. First one that we'll see is, do you love the person of Jesus? Secondly, are you caring for the flock of Jesus? And then third, will you follow in the footsteps of Jesus? And so I'll state those again in a minute. But Jesus says to Peter and to us in this text, love me, care for my people, follow me. That's that simple. First question, do you love the person of Jesus? When it's all boiled down, he comes to Peter at the end and he says three times, do you love me? Listen, look at me. Do you love Jesus Christ? It's that simple. Do you love him? Now, there, there, and, and again, three times here. Now, quick point of clarification here. I, I am working and speaking off the assumption that you are a Christian. And I realize that that's not the case with everyone here. And, and so we're, it's a mixed group. And, and we are honored and, and, and thankful that you're here. If you're not a Christian, we're delighted. We will not single you out or embarrass you in any way. That is not our intent. Uh, but, and, and we're available to you. Any questions you have or we want to serve you regardless whether you're a Christian or not. But I, but I also don't want to confuse you because the starting point of our relationship with Jesus is not our love for Him, but His love for us. 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. And so the, the, the hope is not that we somehow generate love from within ourselves for God, but that we are recipients of His love before we love Him. And so our relationship with Jesus and our love for Him, again, it doesn't come from ourselves. It comes, it's the Lord's work in us, Christ is the one who has initiated this love relationship with God. And, and, and we see this throughout Scripture, particularly throughout the New Testament. God the Father sent the Son, His Son, into this world out of love for us. Jesus died on the cross because He loved us. Galatians 2.20 in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. It was because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. And so that's where it begins. If you've not been made alive in Christ, you can be today. And I hold that out to you. And the, the most well-known verse in the Bible, probably John 3.16, we at least know the reference, that God so loved the world, He so loved the people of the world, that He gave His only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And you can believe and trust in Jesus today. And you can know life and be folded into this relationship of love between God and man. And so I, that invitation is open to you today. And all you have to do is confess that you're a sinner and you need, you need Christ and, his, and the salvation that He gives because He died and rose in your place. And so you can, you can pray to Him right now and and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you want to ask questions, we'd love to talk with you more. Talk with anybody here. But then, in response to, to His great love for you and for me, we spend the rest of our lives growing in love for Christ. And that's what 
That's the, that's, I just wanted to kind of clarify that at the beginning. But for the Christian, a couple things about this love. love. First thing, love is the engine room of our relationship with Him. Love is the engine room of our relationship with Him. Loving Jesus is not the brass handrails and the white linen napkins and the, the cool water slide of the cruise ship. Love is, is the engine room. It's where everything happens. This is where it makes everything else go. It's not optional. It's essential. It's not peripheral. It's core. It's, it's the centerpiece. So church attendance, what we're doing here, isn't the heart of Christianity. Generous giving is not. Busyness in serving and, and just tireless being active, that's not it. Reading lots of good Christian books is not the core of the Christian life. H- having family devotions is not. Holding official ministry titles is not. No, none of those things. They're all good and fine, but you can do all of those things and Christ could still say to you and to us like He did to the church at Ephesus, you have left your first love. Repent. So, so the, none of those things are the, are the central thrust of Christianity, the crux of Christianity. This is what it is. It's love. It's love for Christ. So let's look at these verses more closely. Verse 15 again. When they had finished breakfast, Simon, Simon, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm just going to stop there. And, and, and as we walk through, we, we read through this a minute ago, three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? You know all things, Lord. Yes, I love you. You know I love you. Now, if you've ever heard a sermon on this passage, and I, if you've been a Christian for any number of years, you probably have, but you, you probably know that there are two different Greek words for love in this text, in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. One is the Greek verb agapao, or we get agape as the noun form, and, and then phileo. And so, uh, so the first two times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses that, that agapao uh, verb. And then those first two times when Peter answers, Peter answers with, I phileo you. You know I do. And then the third time Jesus uses phileo, and Peter responds with that same, yes, I phileo you. And so when we think of agape love or agapao love, we're, we're, we often think of it as divine love. This is that self-sacrificing, committed, wholehearted love. That's the word, that, that very New Testament word that's used most often to speak of God's love for us and how we should love Him. And then this other word, phileo, which is... is Generally, kind of a brotherly, affectionate love. And this is where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And, and so there are, there are times in Scripture when those meetings are clearly distinct and, and have that kind of specific, uh, specific difference. And then there are other times when they're used interchangeably, clearly, particularly by John. And, and there are times when, when the writer only speaks of phileo love for God and God's phileo love for us. And, and so they're, they're used synonymously at times. So, but some argue that Peter's love here, what, what's happening is Peter's love doesn't stack up to the word Jesus used here. And so by the third time Jesus asks, he kind of stoops down to Peter's level and uses that lower word. Now I know that this is not, I don't think most would say this, but I've heard a sermon kind of like this and you know, what they would say, what Jesus is saying, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, well, I like you. 
And do you love me? I like you. Well, do you like me? Yes, I like you, Lord. That's not, I don't think, the point here. That's, I, I think that's an oversimplification. I don't think that's what's going on. In this text, John uses two different words for know, two different words for feed, two different words for sheep. And I, and, and I, I think there seems to be no intended difference between the meaning of those other words. And I think that's the case with love. I, I don't see any practical difference that needs to be pressed hardly. I'm not saying there's no distinction between agape and phileo love, but I don't think that's the main point. And so our love for Jesus must encompass both aspects of that agape love and that phileo love. And I was just thinking in the context of marriage. As I mentioned last week, Brooke and I will have been married for 20 years come this December. And on December 13th, 1997, I pledged myself to, to love Brooke exclusively Till death do us part. And so that committed, that agape love, that committed uh, commitment kind of wholehearted committed love is the foundation for what's become this affectionate phileo relationship that's developed over the past two decades. So they're, they're not in contradiction. Our, our marriage isn't built on the foundation of affectionate feelings, but upon commitment, vows, but you'd better believe that I have strong feelings for Brooke that are, that are rooted in that. And, and, and if there were no feelings, something would be wrong with that, that marriage relationship. And so I, don't, I guess I, my point is don't think that the, the answer to this text is being able to kind of figure out some you know, verbal clue that's going to make everything you know, uh, kind of separated into categories. No, what his point is is our love for Christ is wholehearted, committed, self-sacrificing, affectionate love. That's what the Lord wants of us. And so don't get bent out of shape trying to decipher some codes here. That's not the point. The point is that loving Jesus is, this, is to be this blazing center of our relationship with Him. That's, what, that's, where, that's what's most important to see. Second thing about this love is that love for Jesus, it grows out of the soil of extraordinary grace. And we see this grace that love grows from in, in several different ways in this passage. One, it, there's, we see Jesus' grace is behind Peter's name. So the first time Simon Peter encountered Jesus, we talked about this last week, his response was, what? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Get far away from me, Lord, I can't, can't be in your presence. But he, he feels deeply his unworthiness in the presence of, of Christ, and understandably. But Jesus responds with incredible grace to Simon in that instance and, and ends up saying, don't be afraid, Simon. You will, you will from now on, you'll, you're going to be fishing for men. And in another parallel in John 142, Andrew brings Simon to Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, both Cephas and Peter, different languages, but both mean rock. So by God's grace alone, Simon, the sinful man, becomes Peter, the rock. His first experience with Jesus is one of, of, of this incredible grace. Now, three years later, the Lord's grace is magnified again when Jesus calls Peter by his given name and he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's a reminder to Peter of who he is and where he's come from by God's grace. 
It must it had to have caught Peter off guard. That's not something he's heard from Jesus' lips in three years. Jesus would call him Peter. It would be like your mother using your uh, middle name, something like that. Not, not as a child, because we expect that. But I remember, you know, like a few times as an adult, when my mom would use my middle name, I was like, whoa, this is serious. Um, and uh, so, so this, is, this is that kind of thing. It would be jarring to him. But he's saying, this is, a, this is the Lord graciously saying, remember where you came from. Remember who you were before, before I found you, Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? So there's grace in the, in the name. There's grace also behind the questioning. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these. Now the question is, what or who are the these? Um, some, there, are, there are three really possibilities. Some say that these are the, the nets, the boats. Remember, they've been out fishing and all the fishing gear and said, you love me more than these things? Do you love me more than your livelihood? Do you, do you love me more than these things that have been such an integral part of your life and your career and your vocation? Do, do I take precedent over these things? That's possible. Or, or is it these disciples in the sense that you love me more than you love these men? That's also possible. I don't think it's the most likely but grammatically it's possible. Or is it this, do you love me more than these disciples in the sense that you love me more than these men love me? Now, which would have been kind of an embarrassing question to ask in front of these men. But I do think that's what Jesus is saying. Do you love me, Simon, son of John, more than these men love me? And I I say that, and I, I, I realize I may be wrong, but I think there's... There's reason to, to think that it's this case. And just remember in the upper room, when Peter had boasted Jesus is making predictions about his death and he's going to be betrayed and, 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 and all the disciples are going to flee in fear. And, and Peter makes this boast that even if the other disciples deny him, fall away, he never will. Remember, he's like, yes, Jesus, all these other losers around this table, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna wimp out and they're going to get scared and they're going to leave you and abandon you. But... And he's emphatic, I never, never, ever will deny you, Lord. This was his boast in front of Jesus. He's basically saying, Jesus, you're wrong. Listen to me. And so, 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 well, we find that all those other disciples did abandon the Lord and they did flee. But Peter, Peter's betrayal was much worse. Denying the Lord publicly, servant girls around that fire and Fleeing in fear, the shame. I think when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? He probably has in mind that earlier boast. That's great. That's Jesus graciously letting Peter see his failure and his sin so that he can grasp what amazing grace and forgiveness he's received. This is Jesus stoking the fire of his love for him. Because that's a principle that Jesus made abundantly clear to the disciples throughout his ministry. And, and it's this, it's, we see it in Luke 7.47, the, the, uh, the story of the, the sinful woman there anointing Jesus' feet with tears. But the principle is this, he who is forgiven much loves much. It's not that some people need more forgiveness than others. It's, that it's those who understand how sinful they are. And, and, and understand how great God's forgiveness is, they have far much more love for the Lord 
as opposed to those who think they don't really need that much, like Simon the Pharisee, I'm I'm a pretty good guy, and uh, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm I'm a lot better than her, and you don't love much. And so this is what this is what Jesus is doing. So to keep just saying to you, brothers and sisters, to keep the fires of your heart and devotion to Christ, to keep those fires stoked, you got to meditate often on grace and forgiveness that you have through Jesus Christ. And so as you, you've you got to be honest about how sinful you are. You've got, you, you got to be like that sinful woman who has this robust view of her unworthiness and her sinfulness, but flings herself on the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't come tentatively. Don't come kind of, kind of keeping, keeping your cards close to your chest. You come open and honest before the Lord and acknowledging how sinful you are and how much you fail and, and delight in His forgiveness. Our thoughts, it's not that we need to dwell on thoughts of sin, no, but that should cause, we, we are honest about our sin and we flee and we run and fling ourselves on the mercy of Christ, confess our sin and just revel in God's grace and forgiveness. That's, that's the answer. And so, so there's grace behind this questioning. It's kind of forcing Peter to come face to face with his failure. But to, again, to see God's forgiveness. And then there's grace. We see Jesus' grace that's behind Peter's grief. So this whole scene is a set up by Jesus for Peter's good. The location, they're back in Galilee, back where it all began. And there's, you know, the fishing and all of that. The circumstances, we talked about this last week, that charcoal fire, which was, was a, again, just a reminder that the last time Peter was around that fire, he was denying the Lord. Now they're around this fire again, and he's being restored by the Lord. There's this repetition three times, this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, again, I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Three times, Peter denied Jesus three times that night. Here Jesus asked Peter to confess his love to him before the other disciples in triplicate form here. Three times, do you love me? And you put all this together and by the third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? John says that Peter was grieved when he asked him the third time. He got, he got the point. Jesus knew his questioning would cause Peter grief, but Christ knew that this would be a a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So it's Jesus' grace that brings Peter grief, that he might might repent and be restored to this greater love for Christ. That's what Christ is doing here with Peter. And this grief causes and produces this humble, loving heart in Peter. And you see this through these questionings, the first answers Peter gives, you, you know that I love you. And then that last time and that third time when Peter is grieved, he says, he elaborates, he says, you know, you know everything. Christ, there's nothing, there's nothing you can't see or know about me. And you know that I love you. Peter just throws himself on the understanding heart of Christ here. It's like he's saying, others may doubt me, Others may doubt my love for you. I get that. I understand that. But you know everything. There's nothing hidden from you, Christ. You see everything. There are no folds in my heart that are hidden from 
from You. You you see it all and You know that for all my ups and downs, for all my failures and weaknesses and mistakes, You know know that I love You. I think that's what He's saying here. And it's, it's God's grace. It's Christ's grace to bring Him grief to come to that point where He has this humble heart is this honest confession of love for Jesus. Not perfect love, but genuine love. Growing love. I, I came across this illustration reading about something else, but I, I, I thought about it last night as I was getting ready. And uh, Charles Spurgeon, we know as this great mid-19th century preacher in, in, in England, and, and, uh, but he's also this wise counselor, loving pastor. If you've read about his life and you see this and so there's a lady in his congregation metropolitan tabernacle there in london who came to him one day and said this she said mr Spur-, she said mr spurgeon I, it, she's coming struggling with assurance i don't think i have any real faith and she's broken i don't have any real faith left so spurgeon he got out a piece of paper and he wrote on it these words i do not love the lord jesus christ and then he passed it across to her and said to her, sign it. And she said, I can't do that. It's not true. I would rather be torn apart and die than to sign that. And it's just an illustration. She thought she has nothing, but deep down she knew she loved Christ. And that's Peter. He's not coming, you know, this is no longer chest pounding. Peter, hey, all these losers will fall away. I'll never will. No, this is Peter saying, ah. I, you see me, Christ. You see me, Jesus. I'm nothing to hide from you. But I love you. I love you. It's God's grace to cause grief over our sin. And because to shrug sin off is no big deal. Is That's not going to drive you to the Lord. But when we do sin and confess that sin to Christ, we have absolute assurance of forgiveness and pardon. We don't have to pay off our sin. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to work for it. And to get back on God's, we confess it and we know forgiveness. The relationship is, is fully restored. And this all results in more love for Christ. So the first question is simply this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the person of Christ? Not perfectly, but sincerely. Where does your supreme devotion and affection lie? Are there competing loves that, are, that have, 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 have you've been giving yourself to that have made your love for Christ very dim and very very cold or is there a lot of clutter in your heart and you, you the cares and the concerns of this world that have just kind of squelched your love for Jesus so that's the first question if you're here you need restoration do you love Jesus boil Christianity down and this is the first thing you'll see love Christ second Question, are you caring for the flock of Jesus? Are you caring for the flock of Jesus? So do you love me, Simon? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then raise your hands when you sing. Do you love me, Simon? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then read lots of books about me. Do you love me, Simon? Then make sure you do everything you can to express your political viewpoints on social media. Do you love me, Simon? Then devote your life to social change. He says, do you love me, Simon? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my people. If you love me, care for my flock. 
It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus would answer in this way. Jesus made it crystal clear that He is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, and, and, how, and He's made it clear how much a sheep mattered to Him. He said, John ten sixteen, I am the good shepherd, I, and the good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. This is how Jesus sees Himself. And so that's one thing that this, we, we see in this text, is, is that the flock is not ours, but Christ's. It says, you tend my sheep. A little first person possessive pronoun, my sheep, my lambs, my sheep. You are not my sheep. <laughs> you are not the elder's flock. I am called to be a shepherd among you with these other men, but you don't belong to me. You belong to the Lord. You're His. You're His flock. I did not purchase you with my own blood. Christ did. I am not the one who's making one flock with one shepherd. I am not the one who's building His church. No congregation belongs to the pastors or the elders. No Sunday school class belongs to the teacher. In a family, no believing members of that family ultimately belong to the parents. That It's all the stewardship. They're His. We're His sheep. His flock. But now that doesn't lessen our responsibility uh, as pastors, as members of this flock. Not at all. It, in fact, it elevates us. It would be a terrible thing if I were to neglect my own sheep. But to neglect Christ's sheep. How much more serious was that? Jeremiah 23, uh, 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, his flock. So he wants those to love him, to feed and to tend his sheep. And I don't think there's, again, a lot of difference between these words, feed and tend. I know some really differentiate. I mean, there are different words. And, but I think collectively, this is all those activities of shepherding, feeding and protecting and guarding and guiding and leading and caring for their well-being. Now the question is, does this only apply to Simon Peter? Is this oh, it's only in reference to him? I, I don't think so. The context isn't about, isn't about Peter being elevated as the only shepherd of the church or the, even the primary shepherd of the church. I don't think that's the point of the passage. This is about Peter being reinstated uh, to service as a shepherd of the church. Now, I realize Peter's role is unique and foundational in the church, but I don't think that's the point here. It's clear from the rest of the New Testament that this, this doesn't just apply to Peter, and Peter himself applies it to others. But throughout the New Testament, there are these exhortations, particularly to pastors, elders, overseers, uh, shepherds. Those are all used interchangeably. I, I, maybe if you're new here, maybe you haven't heard this enough, but I am not the pastor, and then we have this board of elders who are some other role. No, we are all equally uh, responsible for the Lord, called by the Lord, as shepherds of this flock. So you can call any one of our elders pastor. You can call any one of us shepherds, overseers, elders. It's all the same thing before the Lord. Some are work uh, to support themselves outside of the church. Others are supported by the church to give themselves fully to that work. But it's the same role. All have equal accountability before the Lord. All right, I'm off that hobby horse. But Peter, again, he himself exhorts others to 
he's not saying, you know, I'm the shepherd of the flock. No, he's exhorting others. Shepherd the flock of, among you. First Peter 5, 1 to 3. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And, and so, some of, some, I just say some of you men in this church, you should desire to be a pastor, to be an elder, to be an overseer, a shepherd in this flock, because you love Christ and you care so much for His sheep. And that is a good thing to aspire to and to desire. And I... I pray that many more would come up through this church. But I don't think Jesus' words apply only to Peter. I don't think they apply only to pastors, though I think there is obvious application there. He wants every believer to help feed and care for his people. And there's application for everybody. While shepherding is primary, the, the primary role of pastors, elders, overseers, we can't possibly do it on, alone. Flock care is a community effort. We've been seeing that this summer. And you have all of those one another passages in the New Testament that deal with basically caring for the flock. And that's a responsibility of every member. Older members, older believers, shepherding younger believers, and husbands and fathers shepherding their families, and, and mothers teaching their children the word of God and, and the ways of the Lord. And so this is all part. We all have responsibility of helping one another grow in following Christ. And so... All right, so Jesus, he says this, you want to boil down, you love me, care for my sheep, and then we'll see next, follow me. Let's not make it complicated. Uh, just to this point, are, are, are Christ's sheep a priority in your life? Are, are, do you understand that God has uniquely gifted you, every single one of you, if you're a child of God, to, to care for his flock and to build it up? He's gifted you. You'd be using those gifts. You see the church as a, as a family, as a, not just as a place to go and, and an event to attend, but as we've talked about this summer, as a family to whom we belong and on whom we depend. You see that more and more reality. Do you care for God's people? Or are, are you far more concerned about other matters? Uh, some hot-button issue out there or some... Uh, pursuit of your own is is something else some other pursuit far more important to you than caring for God's people third question third priority will you follow in the footsteps of Jesus verse 18 truly truly I say to you that's a verbal formula that we've seen other times in John this is intended to just grab our attention here just get this take it to the bank some of your translations say, most assuredly, I say to you, you can, you can count on this. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. He's saying, as youth, Peter, you had the strength, you had the freedom to go anywhere you wanted to go. I think of the Mamas and Papas song, go where you want to go, do what you want to do, all that kind of thing. I'm not singing it. Um, he says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Saying you're you're going to be a prisoner in the future, Peter. You're going to be you're going to be bound. You're going to be hauled off to a place you don't want to go. And then he says your hands are going to be stretched out. And 
I think that's a euphemism, as we'll see in verse 19, to crucifixion, to his death. So he's saying, so Peter, welcome back to the ministry. (laughs) Care for my people. Feed my flock. Shepherd my flock. And and know this, sometime in the future, when you're old, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be crucified. You say, why in the world would he tell him this? (laughs) Wouldn't it be better not to know? Just be surprised. Would you want to know how you were going to die? I, I think it was good. It was for Peter's good. And this is why I think that. I think Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed. Think of what Peter has walked through, what he's done. Peter needed to know that the next time his life was on the line, he would not deny his Lord, but he would glorify God in his death. What an encouragement to Peter. He, he needed to know. He needed to know the next time that, that he took them and captured him and tortured him and stretched out his hands and nailed to him to a cross. He, as verse 19 says, he would glorify God. I think Peter lived the rest of his life with newfound confidence after hearing this. I think this gave power to his life and hope to his heart and, and boldness that was just unstoppable. His life was in the hands of the Lord. His death would be for the glory of God. And again, verse 19, this, he said to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, simply follow me. Again, Jesus is back where it all began. Follow me. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. That's what started the three-year three-plus-year journey of life with Jesus on this earth for Peter. Now Peter's restored. Jesus is preparing to leave, but he says again, follow me. I don't think he's saying, Peter, shadow me like before, you know, just just accompany me every step I take, because what we see and have already seen is the visible day-to-day participation of Jesus with his disciples is pretty much already stopped. They're going, you go wait for me. They're not just traveling around and doing everything with Jesus. I don't think that's his point. What Jesus means is, you be my disciple. You you follow me in service and shepherding and sacrifice and and even in death. Be willing to endure affliction, even martyrdom for my sake. This is taking place about 30 to 35 years before Peter would meet his death at the hands of Nero in Rome. Tradition says that Peter was crucified... And further tradition says that he was crucified upside down. He, he refused to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord because he was unworthy. And so for over 35 years, Peter is faithful to Jesus' mandate. Feed my sheep. For over 30 years, he cared for Christ's flock. For 30 plus years, the sword of Damocles is just hanging over his head, his death. And, and he lives under the shadow of this prophecy uh, until... That, that he's going to join Christ in dying on a cross. And, and yet Jesus' simple words in light of this prophecy, follow me, follow me no matter the cost, follow me to death. Now you may hear that and in your mind you think, man, he must have lived a grim life from then on. That must have been a depressing guy to be around. Not at all. His joy, he lived a, a bold life. He was a... He lived a blessed, God-glorifying life, and he encouraged other suffering Christians to do the same thing. First Peter 4, 
verses 14 to 16, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, he's writing to suffering believers, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're richly favored by God because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. This was Peter's perspective. It was, he was not promised an easy life, and neither are you and me. But Jesus' call remains, you follow me. Walk in my footsteps. Consider the cost of true discipleship. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Are you following Jesus' footsteps? Or are your, have your feet kind of taken another trail? Are you trying to, is, is, are you following this, this plan to squeeze as much as you can out of this life? Your pleasure? Are you trying to, are you following rules instead of following the person of Christ? Following morality? Are you following some dream of yours or some worldly ambition instead of Jesus? Are you following a, a person, a human other than Christ? And your, your hope and your identity is tied up in another person instead of Jesus. Well, this is, it's simple. Love me. Care for my people. Follow me. This is, this is Peter's restoration. And I we just say to you, I, I know we're all in different situations. Maybe, maybe you're a weary mother today, and you're here. It's, it's not about having perfect kids. It's not about meeting the expectations of Instagram, and so there's these thousand things you have to do in your life and do perfectly so that you can, can qualify as being a good mom before pe- your peers or before the Lord. That's not what matters most in life. Just listen to the simplicity of it. Love Jesus Christ. Care for his people. And follow him. Or some some man who's maybe in that, just hypothetically, in a midlife kind of situation, and uh, as I just turned 40, and you're, you're, you're struggling, and you're looking back, and you're struggling to deal with those sense of regrets, and, and you kind of get bent out of shape by that, and you... Listen, don't start chasing some mirage looking for happiness. Just keep it here. Love Christ. Care for His people. Follow Him. Or you're a high school senior and you're, you're, you're anticipating graduating this, this next spring and what are you going to live for? How are you going to view success? Is it going to be tied to some career or some degree or some relationship? Is that what your pursuits are? Listen, I just sit with you. I would say, uh, that, that's good. Don't want to squelch dreams. Listen, don't forget this. Love Jesus. Care for his people. Follow him. Maybe you're a Peter. You've blown it big time. Maybe, maybe you, you, and you, and you think that now you have to again do this life of penance, or, or you think that your relationship with the Lord is tanked, or any usefulness to God, that's over and done with. He's, you've been set aside, written off. I just say, revel in the grace and forgiveness of God as you confess your sin to Him and your failure to Him, and love Him, care for His people, follow Him. You see, this pastor. It's not about how many seats are filled on Sunday morning. I'm talking to myself here. 
It's not, it's not about succeeding with some Vision 2020 plan. It's not about budgets or buildings or programs. You should say to me, love me, feed my sheep, and follow me. Again, it's not simplistic. Those can all be expanded out. And we have all scripture to expand those out. But I also think it can be boiled down. Love for Jesus. Care for his people. And following him. Let's pray together. I pray, Father, that in any confusion and anything that I said, I pray that, that nothing would be lost of that simplicity of your words to Peter and to us. This is written down and recorded for us, Lord. That we would we would be able to cut through all the clutter that really kind of muddies the waters of our minds and our hearts as we think about what it means to have a relationship with you and to follow you. And, and we know how the expectations of other people just crowd in and they create this, this conflict in our hearts and Sometimes there's right, um, proper guilt because we've really sinned against you. And other times it's this false guilt and shame because we're not meeting the expectations of people. And I, I pray that that would be sponged away and that we would see, again, the simplicity of this, this gentle call of our Savior to, to love you, to care for your people, and to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.